Don't judge each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds that you plant. That is a quote by Robert Louis Stevenson. Welcome to Trina Talk. This is the podcast where guests share their stories of pursuing their passions, living a fulfilled life, and empowering others. Each week, I talk with inspiring leaders, business owners, and people with amazing stories from around the world in unscripted conversations as they share their successes and failures. This podcast is all about empowering you to keep striving in your personal and professional life. I am your host, Trina L. Martin. Welcome to episode 136. The topic of this week's episode is influence, performance, and leadership. My guest this week is Carol Steza. Carol is a professionally certified ICF executive coach, a senior HR professional, and has a background in industrial organizational psychology. She has survived three different car accidents, all stopped while turning left, and stage three cancer. Resilience, grit, and impatience for life have all been constant companions as she has supported her Air Force husband and moved their family around the U.S. for 26 years. Hi, Carol. Welcome to Trina Talk. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. I am so excited to be talking with you because you're doing some amazing things, things that I think will benefit everyone. Um, And usually how I like to start off the show is I like to ask my guests to tell me a little bit about who you are Mm -hmm. and what made you the Carol that you are today. Mm. It's a fun question. Um, I grew up in Texas and I married a man that I met on a blind date and he turned out to be in the military. So we had a beautiful 26 years trancing all over this beautiful country. And all the while I held jobs and they now all fall underneath the beautiful umbrella of HR, human resources, to include mediation and facilitation and training and development, onboarding, hiring. And I have a senior HR certification to allow me to understand all that was required. I then had this brilliant opportunity to um, go out on my own as an HR consultant and then started coaching organically the leaders I was working with. And then by 2016, I was a full-time executive coach just by way of looking at my clients, noting they were all executives. So it was really nice to know that um, from an HR perspective, I could offer them kind of insights into what it's like to be under a great leader versus a not great leader and really advocate for the organization employees that they hope to lead and influence. Um, On the flip side of that, I'm a mom of two amazing young adults, still happily married, and I have built up considerable resilience resilience I didn't know was a factor in who I was until I look back in the fact that I've um, survived three different car accidents, all stopped and turning left, mind you. So I'm not scared of driving. I just hate left turns. And then in 2012, I had a very surprise diagnosis of stage three cancer. And so 
quickly my life turned from caring about my prestige and titles to time is my currency and wanting to really offer what I felt was really important to the world as fast as possible. Wow. I I love that. Um, because time is something that we can never get back. Right. <laughs> and, oh man, that is, you know, that's like my goal is to use my time wisely <laughs> and not waste it or let others waste it. So I really love that. And like you said, it always takes something to make us appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that weird? I'm like, you'd think we'd get it. <laughs> yeah. You think we would, but we don't until, like you said, something tragic or near tragic happens. And then we go, Oh, okay. I better make the most of what I have. <laughs> right. Um, crazy, but it's funny. And I do remember you mentioning this because I, I am also in Texas. I'm in Houston. Um, retired from the Navy. Yay. So, <laughs> Yay. <laughs> military person. Then, Cause I think your husband is air force. Yeah. Um, don't hold yeah, that against him. <laughs> yeah, I remember, I remember reading that. Um, no, I won't hold it against them. You know, we're all, you know, sisters and brothers at okay. arms. So that's good. Um, but your um, HR, so you are certified an executive. Um, and you said, you know, you've traveled the world and you've done all these things, but you come to this realization that time is your best currency. Mm-hmm. And you want to do things um, where you're you're walking in your passion, I guess I would say. Would, would that be accurate? Yeah, I, I think um, walking the talk, I, I guess understanding that with time, that everything you do has ripple effect. Until you have that moment where you go, holy smoly, I may not have as many tomorrows as I thought. What's the ripple effect? that I want to be a part of because suddenly the um, that time currency, that idea of being who people remember versus being who people are present with takes on a whole different ball of wax. And I, and the other part is that I'm not dead. So I'm still here for a reason. And I think mixed the fact that I'm not dead yet you know, I'm here for a reason. And what is that reason? Oh, I better pay attention. I think that was a kind of cataclysmic combo. Mm. Now, when you're doing your coaching, mm-hmm. is that something that you also integrate into your coaching or is it strictly from a business perspective? There's always going to be a lens that I have access to. So when someone is really stuck Sometimes the simple question is, what do you want people to brag about when you're not in the room? Allows people to kind of stand back and look at more of a collective of actions versus what's just right in front of their face, because we have a tendency to put blinders on when we get stressed. And you're looking as a coach, you're looking for questions that help them transform their perspective to tap into the parts of them that are still unexpressed so that they understand that they need more space to embrace the parts that are expressed and start to be curious about the parts that are unexpressed. So a lot of times I'll ask that question because that was a showstopper for me. When you're gone, what do you want people to have bragged about by knowing you? And it's a big, it's a big question that you can drive down to today. 
Mm-hmm. Customer service, how you treat people when you're out eating, the grace you give people when you want to judge them too fast. It gives you a lens. So yeah, I, I think the long answer to your question was yes. Wow. I'm, I'm, I love that because, and I think you may agree with this in, in the world that we're living in today, there's so much of unkindness that mm-hmm. just being kind to people, I think is something that we all need to integ- integrate into our lives and especially um, being a leader. And I, I kind of chuckle when you were talking, you were saying you've seen you know good leadership and bad leadership. And that's one of the things that I say as well, that made me want to one, become a leader in the military, but also want to do the leadership coaching. Mm-hmm. So when you when you work with your clients, these executives, and I'm pretty sure they're they're high-powered people in in these fabulous roles, and you're going to them and you're saying, okay, do you let them see what they may be doing that may reflect on not being such a good leader? And how do they receive that? Are they apprehensive or are they willing to accept that and want to change? Well, as an executive coach, a lot of times we'll do what's called a 360, which um, can be attached to an assessment or done customizable. And I've done customizable ones where we agree on the questions we want to get answers to. Everybody gets asked the same, but we keep um, those anonymous. And I am then allowed to take and interpret here are the most important points. Here were the things that you're doing really well. Here's the areas of opportunity. How do you feel about that? And how receptive they are to growing, one, determines whether we're a good fit for coach and client, because you you can't coach somebody who doesn't want to be coached. So that normally is something we've already established. But the 360 is something where they are getting input from people who are above, beside, and below them, direct reports. So they really now have a reason to pay attention to this information and how they feel about it determines what's challenging them in overcoming it. So how they receive some, an area of opportunity, a lot of times they'll want to get defensive and say, don't get defensive because what you're doing served you well at some point, it's just not serving you well now. So how do you want to evolve it? And I think just allowing people to know that I know that we all get up every day to be successful. Nobody gets up any one day going, I can't wait to suck today. We just don't, <laughs> right? Where everybody gets up going, I'm going to make today great. And yet we all think differently. We can scientifically prove that we all think differently. We're motivated differently. We come at every problem with a different lens. Even if you're twins or quadruplets, we just know that the brain is this beautiful autonomous miracle by itself. So letting people know that they have the grace to take what used to work and recognize it's not working and how do you want to drive that train gives them autonomy to then enlarge and embrace some unexpressed part of them that they can now tap into. So in the way I coach, normally they're receiving it already with a curious and open mind of how to automatically level up. They're not digging their heels in and saying, no, no way, mainly because the way I approach it by getting input 
Um, Because you kind of can't argue with the things that people are offering because they don't want you to be a bad leader either. Everybody wants to be proud of being underneath great leadership, being influenced, following, being a part of, and being able to brag about where they work. We all want that. So I think people forget that we all have a noble intent whenever we offer that information. Wow. Yeah. And I, I do. I, I agree with that. I think we do forget. So it's a matter of bringing that back to home so that people can realize that. Yeah, we, we're all human and we have those moments where this one person has rubbed us so wrong for so long that, you know, it's going to take a whole lot of salt for us to really buy in that they may have some noble intent today, but it's there. And if we help somebody realize that anything that's thrown at you has nothing to do with you. It has everything with the, to do with the person throwing it. Mm. It makes people go, oh, you know, you don't have to own it. It's not about you. They're having a bad day. They want to be heard. They're projecting out. They're being ugly all over. They're crying out for attention. It has nothing to do with you. And that's a very freeing thing to offer. And yet when a leader is projecting it out, and calling them on it, like you're projecting out. So it means you're frustrated. What frustrates you the most? And let them talk on the point. They start to realize, oh yeah, I'm I'm frustrated. I'm just taking on everybody else. And that's a really interesting idea to offer to people is that when you get stuff thrown at you, it has nothing to do with you. The look on people's faces is like, that's a whole new dawn. Mm-hmm. And that's a oh, nice yeah. place to be. It is because I, I can remember being in, in work environments where, yeah, if I had been told that, I would have been like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's, totally different perspective. Oh, that's different. Because, yeah, I've had some crappy, crappy <laughs> managers and I'm like, God, what, what did what did I do to this person to get him yeah. off, you know, on this side of the road? But, yeah, that's very interesting how you put that. Now, I would imagine and as well as the executive, you're going in and you're working with some of the people. How do you address the climates in a, in a work environment by you being in HR? You're pretty keen on that. So, yes, I love a good culture. I love, <laughs> I love working with a team that values equality and inclusion. Um, we're all naturally different because the way we think, regardless of how we look, So we really can't wait for that to be off the table, you know, but when that doesn't happen, a lot of times what's great is to find a way to help people feel equal again. There's assessments that all assessments in the world have an agenda. Each one has its point. And so depending on where the team is. So a lot of times I get called in, I'm working with uh, either already C-suite executive or somebody emerging and they've got a team and they're like, wow, this is really working great for me. Can you do team engagement? And you can, to a point, you can't coach ethically a leader in a direct report at the same time that just doesn't fly. Um, But I can step in and say, you know, let's get an assessment of the team. How are they doing? What's the performance? How do they feel? And depending on what the, the point is, where they are, 
you a lot of times can offer an assessment that allows people to have a free open conversation of how uniquely they see things. And when, when we understand that someone sees the same thing differently, we start to go, oh, and they, then we talk about the value that perspective offers so that we're now collectively looking at the same problem and valuing the diff- different perspectives because technically that's where innovation really happens. A lot of times I'll pair people together who we've tested and they, we know they think opposites, but that's that you've heard opposites attract. So when you're dating someone and they think differently and they make life exciting, they give you new perspective until you've been married a year and you can't stand why they're so different than you. It's this funny, like, no, no, no. The value that opposite viewpoint offers triggers your creativity. It doesn't cause you a challenge. It triggers more thinking. So the whole idea to work with teams is to one, to get them to value each other for what they're offering. And, and the analogy I use when anybody asks about working with groups to present um, a more inclusive and equal culture is a, a, the Avengers or a team of superheroes. You don't have any redundancy. You don't have two Spider-Men. You've got, everybody's got their own unique gift and yet they all work together for a purpose. And they're called on each one for that unique gift. On a sitcom, everybody's got their own characters, their own personalities. You don't find redundancy. And so when people have a group and they suddenly get mad that not everybody's thinking the same, they forget that that's the value of teamwork. And a leader sometimes can forget the value of having a team because they get mad that the the team doesn't think like him. I'm like, brilliant. That's exactly what you want. You want a team that thinks different than you. And often I get the deer in headlights, like, what are you talking about? I'm like, no, you really do. And they just forget it because they forget to tap in and use that team. And when they do, it frees them to be more strategic. They can be less operational. They trust their team and trust and autonomy is one of the greatest motivators for teams to perform really well. Wow. Yeah, uh, that needs to be brought to the forefront in in a lot of companies. And it's funny because I'm thinking back over my career life and most HR departments that I've dealt with don't come with your perspective. It's, you know, just the usual, you know, benefits, this and that. And, you know, I remember one job I had, I had a complaint against a supervisor and I went and they were like, oh yeah, okay, whatever. But I mean, it wasn't like this, you know, so you're like HR on steroids (laughs) to me. So, so, and thank you for that. And I, there's an interesting part, like in any department, um, when they're evolving. So human resources used to be helping to hire, onboard, take care and create the culture. And as the world became more, more litigious, more legally binding or CYA, if you will, that got dumped in a, on HR. And so it became very paper heavy and paper driven. And I really thrived off all the roles that allowed me to interact with leaders, employees, managers, whether it was gaining training development. And there, so HR departments now, depending on the size of the organization, have levels of HR, entry level HR. And as a senior HR professional, you're looking strategically at how you can help leadership 
evolve. But to your point, um, and to all people who have chosen HR, there are two types of people who choose HR. There's probably more than that. So I'm generalizing with lots of freedom here. The people who are really detail-oriented and love the paperwork, almost like the accountants of humans, as far as benefits and, and keeping track of payroll and doing all this brilliant numbers crunching behind the scenes. And the other people that really thrive off people interactions and go seek out how are we doing, cultural surveys, um, really staying on, on top of that. So HR has gotten broad and deep in some ways, but it's the last person hired when a startup comes around because they've already gathered their talent, they've got the ideas, they're putting out products, they're buying and selling that like business development marketing. And so that until they get to 15 employees, they're like, I think we need to have HR, right? I think we have to legally cover our butts. You could farm out HR now, but a lot of times an HR person is not part of the culture yet. And they're not part of those conversations. And that has been sad to see happen. Uh, I think there's a real opportunity for organizations to allow HR to, to have a seat at the table and put the human element of cause and effect conversations on the table more and more. And some organizations are doing this brilliantly and some it's an afterthought still. So to that note, for someone who is starting their business, when do you suggest that they seek out that HR professional and how do they find someone like you, or maybe they need two people, maybe they need that numbers crunch person. And then they need someone like you, who's going to look at it from the, the human perspective. Um, if you're a startup, uh, there are quite a few outsourced HR entities that you can tap into for a nominal fee that will help you with all the legalities, um, making sure your hiring is fair, helping you with job descriptions that actually depict the job, um, onboarding documents, handbooks. That helps establish a lot of the things that they forget. And the one thing that why that's important is how easy it is for someone to integrate quickly into an organization already sets the tone for culture. Culture will happen whether you intend for it to or not. And when you make it difficult for someone to feel that they belong, you're already starting off on a little bit of a disadvantage to have a healthy culture. So you don't have to hire a one person HR department. You can farm that out to organizations. And there's quite a few out there. So I won't pick one because then somebody will be accusing me of favoritism. <laughs> um, it's not until you get past 15 employees and need to start offering some sort of benefits and closer to 50 that people probably need to have an in-house HR person that helps them maintain um, the socializing, the um, onboarding, integrating, mentorship, pairing of new people with established people to really help maintain the healthy culture because there's a point in a, a business's progression where there's a tipping point that if the culture is already sour, it's gonna just not turn out well for you. So it's worth it to have take the time to make a point of understanding the behaviors you want to see in an organization that, well, I'll, I'll back up here. 
a lot of companies will need to have a mission, vision, and value statement, right? Where they have a business plan, they go for funding. That mission, vision, and value statement, the values should be connected to the behaviors they want their clients to brag about. And those behaviors should be the same behaviors you see in the office so that it is natural and organic. And they don't often take the time to take the values into the behaviors so that they understand what they're judging each other on performance. How are they? And there is a strategic way to do that that could be done at the very beginning, but they're so busy being successful, they uh, forget that. So at the 15 to 50 employees, and sometimes it's at the 15 employees when I really recommend it, get someone in here, even if it's short-term, as a strategic HR lens that connects you to an outsourced HR person or one person who could do it, but it helps the organization really embrace who they want to become as they get more successful. Um, does that make sense? Oh yeah, it okay. definitely does. Um, and throughout your career, what made you shift to the direction that you're going or was there a shift or is this always what you wanted to do? What did you see that made you say, you know what, this is a different way I want to do things? Mm, thank you for asking that because everybody has a varied career, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you start out one thing, you change your degree a few times in college, and then you, you know, <laughs> I, whew, it's a long boat. Um, when HR became really litigious, like at one point um, in 2003, 13, I stepped out to be an HR consultant. Remember the time currency thing. I wanted to control uh, my time and it was a natural progression. Word of mouth referrals, immediately got clients. And then I started getting like, well, can you just make sure that all our paperwork is in order? I'm like, hmm, that is so not my passion. I can do it, but that's not really what I, where I want to spend my time. And I really enjoyed the training and development, uh, conferring with employees of a young company. What do you want to see happening? Helping them craft that cult, the cultural behaviors, working with the leaders. What do you want this to be in five or 10 years? That strategy. And so I've always had a coach approach and collaborative um, curiosity of asking questions. And um, so I got, I got asked to be someone's executive coach. And I said, well, I, I have the education. I could do that. I'd been training and developing his team. I was working with a franchise owner who really was trying to um, build his managers into having their own franchise. And we successfully did that for quite a few, whoever wanted it. Um, And so I stepped into coaching and just started getting more clients that way. And at one point, that's all I was doing. And I go, but this is my happy place. So as organic as it was, the moment you decide that that's all you're going to do, you somehow look at your business a little bit different and want to be more intentional. And um, I've been able to do that since 2016 full-time. And yet there's a part of me that still wants to reach back out and offer offsites and workshops and training and development and the team engagement. So it's nice to keep the options open, but it was an organic shift from paperwork to people work. And it started off very organic and then it became truly like, thank you universe. Mm. 
I like that from paperwork to people work, because yeah, when you say HR, I think of paperwork. (laughs) Right. Exactly. A lot of people do now. It used to be that they were the office managers that took care of people. Right. And it just happened. like, Like I said, 20, 30 year career now all falls underneath this umbrella. Whereas before they all had, and a lot of them have deviated. Large organizations will take training and development and it's in a department. Um, and I, and I get that. And that's great because it, it can be a big job when you're trying to elevate talent all the time and keep everybody sharp in their industry. Um, but for most people like you, it's uh, yeah, the HR person's in the back. Yeah. Go find her <laughs> or go find him. I, I, they're brilliant men doing human yeah. resources too. Oh, wow. So you have the ask framework. Explain that to us. So several years ago, many, oh, now about a decade, the idea came from a very surprising performance review. One in which I'd never had a bad performance review in my life. You're a rock star. Thanks for doing all this stuff. And I was in a meeting with my supervisor and her supervisor. And right from the beginning, it was clear that my supervisor did not know how to really conduct a performance review. And instead of admitting it, she just decided to make it her performance review and would kind of use my work as a cat. I was like, oh, I know she did that, but here's what allowed us to do and me to do. And, you know, she did miss that period on the end of a sentence in that letter. I mean, and I, I froze. It was like watching somebody else's show. And the, the piece that troubled me the most is I didn't have the tools to step in and re steer the conversation back to where it should have been without feeling like I was bragging or putting someone under the bus. And that perplexed me. Why don't we know more about the value we add to an organization in such a way that we can step in and say, hey, you know, given that last project, what was the one thing that that allowed the company to do? And can you give me an example of how it's still being useful today? That's not a brag. That's a question, but it's context one thing and all of that this ask framework you know the the type of questions that can elevate your influence performance and leadership are all based on all the research i did because as soon as that performance review ended i wanted to quit i wanted to put in my two weeks and i was like because what confused me the most was not this my supervisor's confusion over the process it was her supervisor's complicity in letting it happen. And then you feel a lack of trust in the system. And that bothered me a lot. Now, I was intelligent enough to know there was a gap here. But if I experienced it for the first time, I'd heard people experience this, Mm -hmm. but I never understood it to this capacity where you're frozen. You know, that flight, fright, or flight, fight, or freeze. I froze. I was like, this cannot be happening. What do I do here? I don't want to put her in a vest. How do I, hmm. And I would play, I played nice. I played polite. I played, I can't believe this is happening. This dream will end soon. And so I had the opportunity to go back 
to school on a full scholarship. And I jumped into researching this because this really bugged me. If I couldn't figure it out for myself, how could I, as an HR person, as somebody who coaches, guide somebody else? And I really wanted to find that out. So this framework came out of um, tons of research, starting with research on feedback, which is, I think we have it backwards. I used to teach people how to give good feedback, and I was wasting my time on the wrong end of the equation. And that's where the research turned me around to, you know, I need to be spending time teaching people how to ask for the positive information they need when they need it, when they can use it, and when they can actually put it into service. Mm. And that was groundbreaking for me because I was raised in the South where you're supposed to be nice all the time, wait for a compliment, let your actions speak louder than your words, wait, wait, wait. And we do. And when we don't want to wait, we're trained to ask one question. How do you think I can improve? Which opens the floodgate for things we have no idea that we have unleashed. And so it was interesting to know that we actually have more control than we've ever been taught. That we've been taught, the asking has been taught out of us by teachers because not that it's a bad thing. They ask, they ask all the questions to assess learning we're taught to study and regurgitate. Mm. And we want to know a better way to do it. We ask how to improve thinking. They'll tell us all the things we're doing right, except the one thing to improve. But they don't. They take it as an open invitation to be a useful, helpful human being. So if there wasn't anything they were thinking of, they'll find something. And we're doing it all backwards. So this was something I was compelled, I felt was necessary to really give people a framework of how to step into a conversation professionally, to set the other person up for success, control the context, allow them to only offer one thing because that's really how our brains focus anyway. And then the gift is asking for an example through somebody else's eyes. And there is a a fourth bonus of if you want the conversation to go further, ask what and how questions. And so that's kind of explained in the book, but the why behind asking is that we are all motivated by autonomy to be who we are capable of becoming. And asking is that last piece of the puzzle for autonomy of learning what we do right, that we can honor, that the next time we choose to grow, we don't disrupt that cart that everybody else really loves or people count on us for or what people are bragging about. Um, Because we've all done the whole big, you've seen the midlife crisis, they go buy the sports car, the big house, whatever it is they do. And everybody's like, what happened to the person I liked? Well, they didn't change. They just were trying to embrace a new part of themselves at the expense of maybe time on where they used to be. So this came about to help people at work and in life really kind of go, hey, Given what we've done together, a context, which helps the other person know exactly where your head is, no surprises. What's the one thing that you love about us working together? Or what's your favorite thing that you count on when we do this together? What's the one thing you're looking looking forward to? You can always change it around to what's the one thing you want to see done differently. That can always be done, but 
we're so unpracticed and asking for the good because we assume it makes us look self-centric that we don't realize that the gift we're offering is including somebody else into our world. And the last piece of like, can you share with me how you see that happening? Can you share with me the experience through your eyes? Can you share with me what it looks like? That is such a brilliant gift of authentically asking them to share part of themselves that asking becomes a very inclusive act of valuing the other person, regardless if you're asking about yourself or something you've done together. And I don't think we've actually taken into account how important that is to not only find out what we're doing well through somebody else's eyes, but including their perspective into how they see it, because then we learn more about them. Wow. That is pretty profound. And I have never thought or heard of it from that standpoint. Mm -hmm. So that is great. You know, and I like what you say, you're asking for the good and how, you know, they see it through their eyes, one thing. And I was just thinking, as you were talking, a lot of managers, supervisors, whatever, they just have a script. So they'll, they'll go in and they'll tell you at at performance time, oh, well, you need to uh, get better at X, Y, Z. And you're like, well, how do you know I'm not doing X, Y, Z? You know, it's like, they're just telling everybody the same thing. Well, you know, I just get better at X, Y, Z. And they tell everyone the same thing and you're going, okay, well, how can I get better? I do it already. And then (laughs) you're sitting there and yeah, they never say, well, you are good at this. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're just giving you that broad brush of here's the questions to ask, you know, to say about everybody, you know, okay, you, you made 10 widgets, you know, today and this, this, and that. So that's very interesting to approach things that way and actually see if a supervisor can give you an answer to that. Right. So you just offered a, a very interesting scenario we could play with for a second. Um, it sometimes feels like they have a script, right? There's a department, everything the same thing. People forget that in a performance review, you have total permission to step into it with a conversation that you're part of the conversation. You can actually kind of start to interview up in a sense by understanding, saying, okay, I I get that you're asking or offering this insight. Given that insight, what's the first thing you think I should do? Like you can take, you don't want to pivot off what they're offering, but let them know that you're willing to step in the conversation what's the one thing you think is the most important aspect of the things you just offered? Tell me what success looks like from your eyes. You want to know what they're looking for. And then you can always flip around and say, okay, given that you've offered that, can we back up a minute? Can you tell me, given my performance in the last quarter or the last year or whatever it is, what is the one thing you feel that I do really, really well in my role? Right? So you can address where they're at. Don't, don't, Ignore, let them know you're, you're there with them, but then follow it. Like, okay, now that we know this, tell me what I'm doing really well. What's the one thing you think I do extremely well in my role. And can you tell me through your eyes, how you've seen that or how you've heard that? So to your point, wherever they start the conversation, don't ignore it, but you can use this framework. And that's why I call it a framework. You can kind of go back and forth with it, but it also allows you to have 
this framework in your head that you can think on the fly and come back around and ask for the good. You need to balance out any areas of opportunity or growth with what you're already doing right so that you can honor it because that's where you don't have to change. So relieving to know what you don't have to change because then suddenly you have energy to do this new area of opportunity effort. And people just take this area of opportunity and go, great, I must suck at everything then. Wonderful. And I think we need to give people permission to step in and find the gold that is you so that you can then go, oh, well, that wasn't such a bad review because I only have to do this one area of opportunity. I do this well. Mm. Yeah, that is a great way. I think that's helping everyone listening because I have never thought about it that way. And I'm pretty sure a lot of other people haven't because like you said, we're not trained to do that. Right. You know, we go in and we're like, it's almost like you're, you know, you're going to the, to the gallows. You're like, okay, it's it's performance. Sadly, we have victimized the process, right? We victimize the job candidate. They walk in, they just answer. And I'm coaching people. No, 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 this is a conversation. And they're like, what? It's a conversation. You can craft your stories of experience ahead of time so that they, let me show you a framework. This is what I know they need to hear. Um, The interview, the performance review, we have victimized the process, sadly. And I'm not sure if that was ever a decision. I think it was um, an organic perception that people, I would say that our, the, the, there is an old leadership mentality that you tell people what to do, you tell them how to improve, and you're helpful because you're trying, if you're going to tell them how to improve, that you care about the growth. And some there have been several people who have abused that. And that just takes one bad apple to ruin the whole cart, right? And then people have emulated somebody who does it poorly, and they repeat the process. When I used to train people how to be good yeah. feedback givers, they get promoted the next person would be horrible. I'm like, wait, there's got to be a better way. And the better way is teaching us all how to step in and ask for what we want when we need it in a way that keeps us professional. And the other person feels valued in the conversation. And we can still control the conversation in a professional way. A, a question I get asked often is, okay, you've, you've been given, you've asked for one thing and you loved it so much. Don't you want more? And like, you do, but don't, please don't. Mm. Because when you get more than one thing, you weigh them equally and you've missed the opportunity to know which parts, mm. which one's the most important. So when someone comes at you with a pro and a con, you can kindly say, you know, you give me one piece of information. That's all I can handle right now. I'm glad to know you have more. I'll come back when I'm ready. Control the input to your hard drive because this is very important. Mm -hmm. And we don't teach people um, to take that permission to step in and say, thank you, but that's all I can handle. I'll come back to you. Mm. And it's important. Wow. That, (laughs) that is. And, you know, and and you're so right because we'll get the, okay, do this, this, and this. And then you leave feeling overwhelmed and you don't know where to start. Or like you say, you just leave and you're going, okay, I just want to go home and drink. (laughs) Exactly. 
um, if, if nothing else, cause you will have people come at you and like, Hey, five things real quick. And, like, oh, um, and they rattle them off. You're overwhelmed. I coach people to say, take a moment and say, okay, out of the things you offer me, what's the most important today? You need to know where to start because they'll go, Oh, good question. Um, this is most important. And it's never the one you'd guess on your own. Trust me, you're wrong 100% of the time because you're going to think it's the first thing that came out of my mouth and it's normally the fifth because it takes them a while to get there. Um, it's really intriguing what we, what we place assumptions wherever we lack information, like it's a new DIY project. And so this is take the time, take a moment, just take a beat and go, ooh, thank you for all of that. What's the most important one I need to pay attention to right now? And they'll tell you. And it's such a gift because now you know what to do first. You can always go back to like, all right, that is done. Check. What's the next most important thing that you think is really important now? And just by asking those questions, you get to see more and more how the people think what's important. And this is a way to organically learn and appreciate other people without having to guess, not having taken ownership. Or stressing. We have so much anxiety because we place assumptions where we lack information. Mm, love it. And, you know, and that's a principle principle that can be applied in your, your home life. Yes. You know, with your children. And I'm thinking, I'm like, I can use that with exactly. my son. <laughs> it is. It's actually brilliant to use at home. Yes. Um, yes. It's brilliant because, you know, it, and this is where that projection takes place. Mom, you never, dad, you never, or to your spouse, you never. Mm. Anytime you ever hear never, always, or should, mm-hmm. you really can just take a moment and say, wow, it sounds like you're frustrated because that's a neutralized term. You're calling it. What's frustrating you the most right now? Don't own it. Don't take it on. I call it the pile of poo exchange. They're trying to hand you a pile of poo and you gently just hand it right back to them. Like, well, what's frustrating you the most and let them talk. Cause that's what they're really wanting. They just are doing really poorly. And that type of love and respect, even to the youngest member of your family, even if those emotions are still hard to articulate, you're giving them space without accusing them of anything other than an emotion that's natural. Ooh. I love this conversation. This is, ooh, this is great. I, I'm like I said, I, my wheels are turning and I got two teenagers. So I'm like, hmm, I can oh. start using this. Now, you know that teenagers jobs are to rebel against you to see how far the rubber band stretches, you know, yes. they're testing their wings mm-hmm. um, and, and you just get to, to love it out of them. Oh, that's why I is why liquor stores just never go out of business during a pandemic. (laughs) Not that I'm I'm not not condoning drinking for everybody. Trust me. But boy, does it give you that moment where you're like, come on. Um, They are truly required to spread their wings and nobody's telling them how to do it. They're doing it in every way they can think of. Good, bad, and ugly. Mm Mm-hmm. And one, okay. of, one of the most brilliant things that I found useful, and I wish I'd had this tool when my kids were in high school, because I learned this later. And let me tell you, if I've ever thought that 
wisdom was wasted on age. That would, this is it. I wish I'd stepped into better conversations with my high schoolers when they complained about something, instead of trying to fix it, instead of thinking they needed my insights or my inputs, I wish I'd taken a moment to say, that sounds awful, but that sounds great. Can you share with me what it looks like from your eyes? How is that? How do you experience that? Where'd that thought come from? I want to know more. To be curious, curiosity and respect and love is something you have to give before you earn it back. And we want it so badly, we just try and take it. It never works. So the moment you can give your kids space to explain or share where their thoughts are coming from, what that experience looks like through their eyes, the fact that you're listening to them gives them respect that they will give in return. And it is not easy. Trust me. Not easy. Because you just want to slap them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes. <laughs> but taking that space, because they're in process of verbal processing their own growth. Yeah. And that's a gift to give them that opportunity to process it through you without judgment. Mm. And from our perspective, it's hard not to judge because we live vicariously through our children. We're the CEOs of a product we're putting out into the world. Yeah. That we would really like to have a different path than they're choosing today. (laughs) And, and that's been, I really wish I'd had this framework, this research, this understanding, because I've learned how to ask my kids for what I want and what I need to, you know, given dinner tonight, what's one thing you'd like me to make again? And can you give me an idea of, of what that, what that experience is like? What did you like the most about it? Mm-hmm. And sometimes just those simple questions allow you to hear what they would tell a friend that you'll never hear unless you ask, you know, when we go out on vacation, what's your favorite part? What do you look forward to? You will try now that they're my have young, young adults, millennials. Mm-hmm. I've learned to ask these questions and I'm learning stuff about their youth. I never knew. I never knew that one of the favorite things they got at Christmas was this three flavored popcorn tin from their great grandmother that I thought was just another, every year we got it. I'm like, another tin of popcorn. I had no idea they learned to love it. And now they want it all the time. I mean, just the simplest silly things that you don't find out till you're probably 80 unless you ask now. So yeah, it's a brilliant thing to play with. Um, even outside mm. of work. Yeah, I, I think I'm gonna do that with my kids because that's yeah, it, it'll be interesting to actually hear what's going on in their mind, just totally unfiltered. Yeah. Um, and I think that'll allow them to want to open up more. Um, because of course, like you said, teenagers, their life is to inflict pain on us. <laughs> Well, they're just trying to spread their wings. And sometimes we get hit in the process. You know, they're just flapping away. Um, <laughs> one of the um, the last bonus tip I have for this framework is, yes, always set a conversation up with context because then the other person doesn't have to guess where you're coming from. Always either offer or ask for one thing because even though scientifically we can think about three things at one time, we can only focus on one thing at a time. So to hear it and give it, honor the space it needs, just do one. Asking for an example, how the other person sees it 
But when you want to have that conversation go further, asking what and how questions. And trust me, having teenagers, you want to go, why did you do that? Why? But why makes people defensive? It makes people, their brains go backwards having to defend the action. So if you get mad at them and say, okay, like they've done something stupid. What did you think would happen when you did that? What do you think would happen next if you did that? How did you think that would play out? But let's say you've had a great uh, great conversation. Like what's the one thing you love the most on the last vacation? How did you experience that? How can we replicate that? What would you like to see for the next vacation? Just following and offering what and how questions. And you can do it backwards too. What does success look like? What do we do first? Give me an example. If there was one thing you wanted to make sure happen, what is it? And are we talking about the same thing? (laughs) So it's a framework for that reason to play. But those four and five, the four elements, you know, the, the context, the one thing, the example, and what or how or what and how questions gives you this beautiful toolbox that keeps the drama out of it. Yeah. And keeps a lot of the judgment out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're triggered, the framework is something you can rely on to keep the triggers a little bit lower and go, oh, see this through. Um, mm. Because we're all emotional. We make decisions based on emotions. What we say is based on emotions. So, yeah. you know, the one thing, the one question, the one thing question really helps keep that in a sweet gift package. Mm. Love it. Love it. Love it. Again, my notes, because <laughs> I'm going to use that on my kids tonight. <laughs> <laughs> they actually will start to appreciate it. And that's the interesting thing is that when you start using this framework to gain information, the other person feels so respected and included that asking becomes a gift, even when you're asking information about yourself, which is so not intuitive. Love it. Okay. We got to get into our questions. (laughs) Okay. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Who or what motivates you? Hmm. Laughter motivates me. Um, Choosing optimism motivates me because it's not natural for me. I don't wake up uh, just this positivity person. I have to choose it. And I, I intentionally choose it because it allows me to laugh easier. Wow. What demotivates you? Ooh, pettiness. Um, People talking, um, pettiness and rudeness, just Mm. in consideration that the other person has a place. Mm. When was a time that something was said or done to hurt you, but it worked out for your good? Mm-hmm. Well, that performance review uh, <laughs> is one. But I think anytime somebody has come to me now that says something kind of snarky or impatient, recognizing it's about them allows me to turn around and step into the conversation without feeling I have to have my armor up and just recognizing that they're frustrated. And that's worked out beautifully because I can step into better conversation with people and not take and, and own their drama. What is your fear? Mm, my fear is not 
offering the gifts I'm here for. It keeps me on a quest of curiosity, that's for sure. Is there a time when you wish you had done something that you didn't? Oh, yeah. I wish I had given my children the respect of being individuals in their own right and not trying to put them into the category of my child, like my child. I, I wish I'd given them that freedom to really respect who they wanted to be without judgment when they were younger. Oh. Is there a time that you wish you had not done something? Oh, yeah. Um, we forget that people aren't in the same headspace or, or as we are. So um, there have been often times when I've tried to jump into a conversation and done it extremely poorly. And um <clears throat> hurt someone's feelings by accident. And anytime I do something that hurts someone, that's, that's just hard. That's never been an intent. So it's sad when it happens. What is your definition of success? Liking who you are and what you do and who you're with at the end of the day. How do you recharge? <clears throat> it turns out I need more sleep than I ever thought. Um, I literally, I stalk comedians online. I have to seek out laughter. I need it like fuel. So I will hunt down, um, you know, little snippets on Facebook comedians or music. Um, I love musical theater and Broadway and just seeing talent. In its wow. um, beautiful bloom, that that's a recharge for me. What are you awesome at besides HR? Mm. <clears throat> Ironically, I'm awesome at um, creating very efficient ways to get to the end of uh, whatever it is we're doing. <laughs> and I'll, I'll try and explain that. Um, I have a strength called a ranger. And so whenever I'm looking at whatever it is we're trying to do, whether it's have an event with our family or cook dinner or just um, pack for a trip, I have a gift for just like, okay, step one, step two. And I work backwards. And my family looks at me like, how'd you just do that so fast? But I, I'm also very agile. If something, something changes, I'm like, okay, well, that just changes a few things. So efficiency it is seems to be a motivator for me is how do we just do it with the least amount of stress and worry and wasted time. And I seem to be able to do that better than anybody else in my family. Probably not the world, but just my family is good. Hmm. What legacy do you want to leave? I want people to feel loved people who knew me, people who were my friend. I, I want to take more time in telling them how they have affected my life for good so that if for some reason I was hit by a truck tomorrow, they wouldn't question that they were valuable to me. Oh, okay. Carol, give the listeners one motivational takeaway. Mm. Stress and optimism are choices. There's two types of stress. There's this type of stress you create to motivate you to finish something. That's called, you know, objective, objective stress. 
And then there's a stress you can't control, the worry about things you can't control. That is an option. That is a choice. When given a choice, choose not to stress about things you can't control. Choose optimism. How can the listeners connect with you if they want to come to you for coaching, your your framework, your programs? Give us the whole nine yards. Well, I love to connect with people on LinkedIn, and my name is spelled C-A-R-O-L-E. S-T-I-Z-Z-A. So just look at my name on LinkedIn and let me know that you heard us on this podcast. And I would look forward to connecting with you. I do have a website um, and a YouTube channel. My website is relevant-insight.com. And on that website, and you can Google my name and it should pop up. But on that website, because the book is about to be released, You can actually get an introductory chapter, which probably shares some of that performance review fun um, and be on an email list of when the book is going to come out on ebook and then in print. Um, And I have a YouTube channel and I'm on Instagram with relevant insight coaching. And I love to hear what has been helpful for people who have gotten to listen to your podcast because your audience obviously values all that you offer. And I'm glad to be a part of it. Very honored. Well, I thank you for being on because I tell you, what you have given us today has been very valuable. And I know the listeners are going to find that is very valuable and things that they can use now, mm-hmm. things that regardless of the position they're in, or even like we said, even at home, they're practical things that they can do to advance their life. So I thank you for sharing your wealth of knowledge with us. I am glad that it will be helpful because it is a joy. If you like Trina Talk Podcast, please don't forget to go out to iTunes and rate it five stars and leave a review. Also, who else in your life do you know that needs some motivation and inspiration in their lives? Don't forget to share Trina Talk with them. I hope you have a great week. And remember, if you change your mindset, you can change your life. Keep striving because success is a journey not a destination.